Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Verse 14. It says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I'm going to preach a topical message tonight on glorifying our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to meet together. Thank you, Father, for your word. I pray as we look into it tonight and consider glorifying the subject, I pray that uh, we would, you would open our minds and our hearts to receive the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. Edify us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. See the glory of God. How does the world, how will the world see the holiness of God? Is it going to be written through the sky? How will they see their sinful state without some understanding of God's holiness? You know, I think part of our, the reason that we see the condition of society and their irreverence for God is because of the irreverence they see in people who call themselves Christians. And I'm not talking that we have to be perfect or have sinless perfection. But you know as well as I do that many people who name the name of Christ, again as I mentioned this morning, give no regard to the holiness or reverence for God. You know, I know people that supposedly would consider themselves good Christians that you take the Lord's name in vain all the time. That's one of the Ten Commandments. He will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to look at some verses here tonight and, 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 and kind of set a background. And then we're going to look at, we're going to be looking at in weeks following. Uh, I'm not going to spend probably too long in this, but you know, this, is, this is why we have what we call standards of conduct for officers and workers in our church. Um, but but go look at look with me at first of all at Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. Matthew is just kind of spring. But again, you know, how do we glorify the, the Lord? Ephesians one, and we'll look at some verses about holiness. Ephesians one Verse 3 to 5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. 
according as he has chosen us in him, and if you want to know what all that means about him choosing us in him, ask my Bible class from this afternoon. They could, I mean, I think they could fill you in on all those details. Anyway, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated, in other words, he's predetermined that we should be holy as his children, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So God has predestinated or preordained that his children should be holy. After all, we bear his name. We've been adopted into the family of God. According to his good pleasure. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You know, in every, almost every epistle, you could pick out, you could pick out uh, scripture that teaches this principle. And it's something that most of the Christian world, unquote, quote, unquote, rejects. Uh, is the doctrine of holiness. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 6, I'm sorry, verse 19. What? Know ye not, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now the word glorify means here to honor or do honor to. So with my body and my spirit, I'm to honor or do honor to God. To reference him, to demonstrate that to the world and to him. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter six. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse seventeen. Wherefore come out from among them? He's talking about unbelievers, and he's talking about unbelievers in the church. Uh, of course, you know, they had some real problems in the church at Corinth, and, and they were to separate from unbelief. Uh, Come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dear beloved, you know, God promises him if, they will, if we will separate, and the word separate really is a similar word to the word and sanctification, these all, all, all have a similar meaning. It means to separate from sin. To set ourselves apart. So he says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, that he will receive us as we sanctify ourselves, or become more like them, really. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, it's interesting that you know, the Bible's very relevant, contrary to what a lot of people think. You know, in, in first century Christianity, agnosticism, Gnosticism was a thing. And Gnosticism teaches that, that the spirit and the body are separate so that you can be holy in spirit and wicked in body. So you can live a wicked life in the flesh, but you could be holy in your spirit. Now this, this, that philosophy is very prevalent today. People will say this. Well, his heart's right. 
I mean, you can be living a wicked life, or she, but they have a, their heart's right. You know, it's what's, you know, it's, it's what's in your heart that matters. Yeah, it is what's in your heart that matters, but what's in your heart comes out in your life. You can't separate the two. God doesn't separate the two. He said to be perfecting holiness in the flesh and the spirit. Um, the word perfecting here means to accomplish or to execute or to complete. Or to perform it. That's the idea. To put it into practice. So we are to perfect. You know, and, and, and that speaks of an ongoing process. In case you didn't know, I haven't arrived. I struggle with this at times. Sometimes more than others. And I know you do too. Um, but we are perfecting. We are, we are to be perfecting one another. Or we are perfecting ourselves. Uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> Now, I want to just establish a good base for this here tonight. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8 says, I will, I will therefore, notice it's God's will. You know, Paul, Paul here is speaking to young Timothy, but he's speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So it's not Paul's words, it's God's word. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. In like manner, in other words, like men are lift up holy hands, in like manner women are lift up holy hands, also that women adorn themselves in a modest apparel, with shame faces and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now it's interesting to me, I think that, you know, you know God's sovereign, God knows everything. And a thought just came into my mind there that, you know, probably the things that men struggle with the most are wrath and doubting. And the things that women struggle with the most have to do with their apparel. And that's what he lists here. But God wants us, to, men and women, to lift up holy hands. Holy hands. Look at Titus chapter 2. Verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. <clears throat> the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. And there's our word, God-like, or live a holy life, in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people. The word peculiar has the idea of a, of a purchased possession, a special purchased possession. Zealous of good works. These things speak and rebuke and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So, so the grace of God teaches us that we should be striving or perfecting ourselves to live godly, to live holy. Look at uh, 1 Peter, 
First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Verse thirteen. Wherefore gird up the the loins of your mind. You know, when you gird up the loins, that means you're getting ready to go to work. That was the idea. When a man girded up his loins, girded up his garment, he pulled it up, so he was either going to run, go into battle, or he's going to work. So this is something we need to go to work or go to war with. We need to, we need to, we need to be serious about this. Gird up the loins of your mind. So he's saying we need to be serious. Be sober. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So in every area of life. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons, judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning, here in fear, or in reverence, or in respect, of a holy God. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed of corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. You know, we serve a holy and righteous God, uh, an incorruptible God, who, who purchased us with the, with the precious, incorruptible blood of Christ, a holy savior. You know, I walked into that temple over there. And there's just, as far as I'm concerned, there's a lot of filth. Religion's filthy. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the things they do are filthy. You know, a lot of the customs that go along with religion are filthy. Morally filthy. Think of the, think of the, you know, at Thessalonica, they had shrines where they worshiped their gods and they were filled with prostitution. Think, think of the, the, the immorality of Islam. The wickedness of the Roman Catholic Church. Read their history sometime of the Pope. I would encourage you to get, uh, uh, huh? Or uh, I think it's Unger's Bible, Unger's Bible Dictionary has a section on the Popes and their illegitimate relationships. They're, they are as immoral as anybody in the world. Of course, we know just not too long ago about all the scandals in the Roman Catholic Church and the sodomy and the molestations. This was just a couple, couple of decades ago that was fairly prevalent. You know, religion is filthy. No, Bible Christianity is to be holy. It's distinct. Because we have a holy God, a holy Savior. And... He desires that we be holy. I want to look at one more verse here. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 14. 
says, follow peace with all men, men and holiness, without which no So we are to follow holiness. Follow holiness. The word follow means to seek after eagerly. What do you do when you follow? You know, Jesus said, follow me. He said to the disciples, follow me. What did they do? They went wherever he went. And, and they began to do the things that he did. They began to act the way he acted. They were following him. And so we're to follow holiness. That means when the word of God tells us something that we ought to strive to do it. Or to not do something, we would not do it. Let's follow him. And he says, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, there's, there, there, there's you know, some people can twist this scripture and say that if, you, if you're not holy, then you're not saved. And some will say that it means that if you're not perfect, then you're not saved. That's not what it says. Obviously. The word see here means to gaze with wide open eyes at something. Now, if, if you gaze, you look steadfastly or intently with great interest. Psalm 119.18 says this, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. See, it's not talking about just glancing at. He says we're not talking about, you know, he says here, follow peace and holiness without which no man shall see. In other words, it's not talking about just a glance at the Lord. And that's, that's the problem with a lot of people. They just have a glance. They just have a glimpse. They really don't know the Lord. Therefore, they don't understand the holiness of the Lord. Because they don't gaze on him. They don't gaze on him. Paul said that I may know him. He didn't want, he wasn't saying, well, you know, for example, I know, I know Clifton Hoyle. How well do I know him? Well, you know, I've met him. I've talked to him. But I know Howard Hoyle in a different way than I know Clifton Hoyle. Because I've spent more time with Howard Hoyle. Now, I know my wife more than I know Howard Hoyle. And the idea here is that we ought to set our gaze intently on the Lord so that we know him. And so when he says follow holiness, follow holiness, we ought to set our gaze upon him that we might behold wondrous things out of his, out of him. Um,
you know, again, the word gaze here is to have eyes wide open at something remarkable. There are a lot of people, they just aren't all impressed with the Lord because they really don't know him. They really don't know him. Why? Because they haven't gazed upon him. So we are to follow holiness. And again, how will the world see the holiness of God? They will, how will they see their sinful state without some understanding of God's holiness? And where are they going to see it? With that in mind, go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now I'm going somewhere. I hope my train has a caboose. 1 Peter 2 verse 11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works. Now we talked about the good works in Matthew chapter 5, talked about the good works, so they see our good works. And here it talks about, again, they're going to behold your good works, which they shall behold and glorify God in the day of visitation. Now the word glorify again means to honor or do honor to. So here, here he's not talking about us glorifying God. He's talking about the world doing honor to God. Now how are they going to do it? Or why are they going to do it? Is it not because they're going to see the holiness of God or the glory of God demonstrated in you and I? And that really is the purpose of standards, of biblical standards. You know, standards are not an end in themselves. They're not an end in themselves. They're not just something we do just because we want to have restrictions on who does what in the church. It's not the purpose of standards. You know, they are to... They are, the purpose of standards is so that we will reflect and project the holiness of God. It shows our reverence for God. Um, it, is, it is really practicing your faith. Look, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. <clears throat> and you know, New Testament. If you read the uh, uh, of of Christians in the New Testament, you'll see this brought out. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse uh, one. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost and much assurance, as ye know, what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord. Here's God's, here's God's election. You're to become followers of the Lord. Well, he chooses us to be holy and without blame. 
having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples, notice, to all that believe in Matthew and in the chaos. Now, I want you to go back to verse 5 in particular where it says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Now go to chapter 2 and verse 10. What manner of men were Paul and Barnabas among the Thessalonians? Chapter 2 verse 10 says, Your witnesses and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believed. That was their manner. Which the Thessalonians beheld and glorified God. So, the doctrine of holiness for us is to show, is to glorify God, to show our honor and reverence for God, and to demonstrate the holiness of God to a lost world. And that's, that's what, you know, and we put these things down on paper and we call them standards. And they're, they're guidelines of holiness for our church. Now I say, is that a biblical thing? We'll go to Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 12. No, I'm sorry, chapter 9. <laughs> All right. Chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse um, 37. And it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle. At their pleasure, we, we, and we are in great distress. And because of all this, we made a sure covenant and write it. And our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. So Nehemiah wrote a covenant and had them sign it. That they were going to obey the Lord. And it was, a, it was a standard of conduct for the priests and the princes. So as we, think about, as we think about standards, they really are guidelines of holiness that we find in the Word of God. Some practical guidelines. Um, you know, our standard sheet says this. Um, Every person who holds a position of spiritual leadership and ministry in Lighthouse Baptist Church is expected to uphold these standards of personal godliness as well as other areas of obedience, which become a person who is spirit-filled and dedicated to obediently following Christ. As someone who wants to follow the Lord by serving at Lighthouse Baptist Church in an official capacity, I resolve to, and then we have the standards listed. And the first one 
and I believe the most important one is regularly attend all the church scheduled church services unless providentially hindered. Um, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, we're in the same context. If we sin willfully after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Now, so God commands us here to hold fast our profession. Hold fast. You know, to me that's a picture of we're going to cling to it. It's Sort of like the Bible tells us that the, uh, uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And the idea really there is they're to be glued together. They're to leave their parents. Parents have no more say. They're starting a new home. I mean, if, if they want to ask their parents' advice, that's fine. But parents aren't to be dictating what they do. He's to leave and cleave to his wife. They're to, they're to, to, to hold fast to each other. So we're, we're to hold fast, professional our faith without wavering. And, and I believe the way that we hold fast is assembling together. That's what he says in this passage. You know, you and I, you know, we live in a world that we are being constantly bombarded with, with false ideas and, and opposition to, to things taught in the scriptures oppo and, 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 you know, uh, opposition to the truth is constantly being bombarded and be, our ears are being filled with it and our eyes are seeing it. And so it's important that we assemble together to provoke. Now that word provoke, it's not a bad word. You know, we, 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 we I don't know, I haven't heard it in a while, but, you know, we used to say up in Pennsylvania, well, he just provoked me. And, and you know, the idea was, well, he kind of upset me. Well, that's not always a bad thing. But I think the idea here is that like, like you know, you heard of an ox goad. You know, of course, I grew up in a, on a farm, and uh, sometimes we sold cattle, and you know, trying to get them on the truck was not always the easiest thing to do. A pitchfork sometimes helped. That's really an ox goad. 
something that hurt. Or we also had chockers. I mean, I'd make a move pretty quickly. That was provoking them. Provoking is not always pleasant. Sometimes it is. But sometimes, you know, the idea is we need stirred up. We need challenged. We need our thinking corrected. We go out there in the world and we hear false ideas and, and, and we need to get back in the house of God and, and get our ideas cleared up. Because if you stay away from the church of God long enough, you're going to start believing what the world's telling you. So you become like those you hang around with. And many a person has left a church and has gotten all messed up in their thinking. They can't even think straight. And so this, this, this principle of regularly attending all the scheduled church services is vitally important to our spiritual health. Not because I'm the pastor. I mean, I learned something from Brother Hoyle's Sunday school class every Sunday. Some Sundays more than others. And some Sundays you learn more from me than others. But if you come looking and seeking to get something from God, you're going to get it. Even when I don't say much, it's worthwhile. But we, we need to be assembled together so that we can provoke unto love and to good works. Exhorting one another, encouraging one another. And he says so much the more as you see the day approaching. As we get closer to the Lord's return, we need that. And it's a willful sin to neglect assembling together. Look at uh, Acts chapter Acts chapter 1. You you wonder why, you know, in, in our world today many of quote God's people are very flippant about faithfulness or attending church of any kind. Act, did I say Acts chapter 1? It's Acts chapter 2. But in New Testament times, what I find in, in the, written, in, recorded for us in the scriptures is, in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that were believed together and had all things common. And sold possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, these people continued steadfastly. They did not forsake the assembling together. 
Now, when you forsake the assembly, you've missed part of what God has for you. It'd be just like, you know, I have a normal eating schedule. At least I think it's normal. You may not think it's normal. But I like breakfast. And I want eggs. I almost went into withdrawal in Taiwan, but I made it. Some of the buffets had eggs on, believe me, and I ate them too. But there were no eggs for breakfast. Well, there was. These scrambled things, you know. McDonald's sandwich, you know. Just, just not the same time. Like that little dippy with toast, you know, or... Anyway, yeah. That's a Byler thing, I know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, lunch and supper. That's typical standard, okay? So forsaking an assembly is like going without breakfast or going without my lunch. I miss something. And every preacher knows this. You prepare messages, and you don't do this on purpose. You, you know that I preach through books. That's my normal way of preaching. So I don't intend to say, ah, Dave has a problem. Let me see if I can find something in the scripture to help him. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit has a way of bringing things out in passages of scripture that will help us. And you think, this would really help so-and-so. get up and you look out and they're not there. And what happened? They missed some spiritual food that God had for them that would help them, that would perfect them in their walk with the Lord. And so, you know, regular church attendance is vital to our spiritual growth. You know, it's impossible. I believe it's impossible. That, you know, and the longer we're going to live, I'm, and the longer I've been in, in the ministry and in churches, the more I'm convinced it's impossible to really grow to spiritual maturity without being faithful in a New Testament church. possible. See, God, God uses the church, again, to perfect us, to grow us, to challenge us, to go on to greater usefulness for the Lord. And to neglect it is to sin willfully. That is, that, that word willfully means on purpose or it is presumptuous. The idea here is we know it's not right. We're going to do it anyway. And the illustration he gives here, this is serious, it's a serious matter, because he gives an example of this in verse 28. It says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye 
shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, hath done despite under the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto, the Lord, unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. Now, what he's referring to here is there was a man, you know, that got the Lord had given the Ten Commandments through Moses. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. They were doing those several work, several, several work on the Sabbath day. And one man went out picking up sticks. And they found him, and they brought him to Moses to see what was done with him. And Moses said, the Lord said, Moses, take him out and stone him. Now, picking up sticks doesn't sound to me like a serious crime. But the crime was he had willfully, he had despised the command that God gave. And he says here, how much sore punishment. You know, the church, he says, is my, what? My body. It's my body. It's the body of Christ. And to neglect it is to despise it or the idea here of despise is to count it not important or esteem it of little value. That's really the idea. To esteem it of little value is not really that important. So what? That's the attitude of a lot of people. So what? It won't matter if I miss a service here and there. So what? That's not God's attitude toward this. He takes it seriously. Because he... He knows it's for our good. It's important for our... You know, when we take that attitude, sooner or later there's other things that we say, so what? So what? So it is vitally important that you and I are faithful. You know, and I find this, and I... And I, I, I I'm starting to share this with people when I meet them on out on visitation, who say they're Christians, and I ask them where they go to church. Well, they don't. And I usually end up saying something like this. Well, what I find in the New Testament is those that got saved, they did three things. They assembled together, or they got baptized. That's identifying with Christ. It speaks of dying to self and raising to new life. They assembled together continually, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and then they went everywhere preaching the gospel. In other words, they identified with Christ publicly. They continued to assemble together and be taught about the doctrines of God, they were seeking to know God. They were, as it were here, we talked about gazing on Him. They were intent and learning about Him and His holiness, how to glorify Him, so that they could tell others. And they went everywhere preaching the gospel. 
See, that's what God wants of us. He wants us to pursue or to follow after holiness so that we might reflect His glory. That's what we are. We're a reflection of Him. We're not Him. He's the light of the world, but we're the reflection of Him. We're to reflect Him. And we reflect His holiness to a lost and dying world as we strive to please Him in our conduct. And so it's important that we assemble together unless providentially hindered. Might God help us? So we'll continue looking at these uh, next week. Might God help us to seek to gaze upon Him that we might be holy in our body and our spirit that we might glorify Him to our lost and dying world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time and opportunity we have in your word tonight. Thank you for the instruction that you give us. Lord, I pray you help us as your people to continue to strive, to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow you, to submit to your will, to set our gaze upon you, we might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Be made conformable unto your dear son. So pray that you'd help us, just strengthen us, and help us to be faithful. We do pray in Jesus' name.